Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thank you, Randy. And thank you, Randy, for last week. Randy did a great job last week um, in his talk. It was neat to share with him uh, Wednesday on Take Two and appreciate so much his words. Uh, it's good to be back. was out in San Diego with my wife and cousin and grandson and nieces. And it was a lot of fun. My wife was there for a whole week, and she was exhausted coming back after watching <laughs> grandchildren for a while. Um, last night, oh, last night, Friday night at Ben's house, we had a great time. Uh, last night was Saturday night. So thank you, Ben, for opening up for kind of our summer series, Potluck. We're going to do another one at the end of July. I think it's the 24th. I should know it's at my house, but um, we'll have more information as it comes along, and you guys are, again, all invited to come, hang out, eat, and really just have a great conversation with one another. It was so neat. Uh, at the gathering, uh, I was sitting next to Mauricio, and he said, you know, years ago you guys did a thing, we did a thing called 3030, where we did 30 days of meeting somewhere. I don't know if you guys remember that, but... It, it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun too, right? We were just every day there was something happening at someone's house, at a coffee shop or whatever. And Mauricio says, that's, I was at a park in Claremont and that's where I got to meet some people and Alex ended up kind of introducing them to me and that's where he kind of got connected. It was at one of those things. And so it's great to see how those things are really opportunities for connection and relationships to develop. And so that's what we're trying to do and want to do more of that. So. And, and Kristen and Sue. And Sue, yeah, all Kristen. of you. Oh, Kristen, yeah, she was, she was running around taking care of everyone, and then the two babies were running around too, and they were being taken care of by everyone. It was great. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Sue and Kristen. Thank you, Eileen, for pointing that out. Ben, ben, <laughs> ben does not get all the credit there. Uh, <laughs> what kind of patriarchal system is this? Um, uh, again, we want to do these kinds of things, and there are a lot of things happening or beginning to open up again with us. Uh, we have an Art for Artists things going on on Tuesday, and that's something that if you want to find out more information about, I would say talk to Jordan back here. Jordan is there behind the screen, and he'll let you know because we want to encourage people who are involved in any kind of artistic venture to be involved, but one of the requirements is if you come, you've got to share it's just part of you come and you you know reciprocate by giving of what you have, but it's a cool thing. It really is. The last time was really good. And then you're also doing another philosophy and critical thinking. What's the date on that? 27th. 27th, we think. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
I should just have Eileen. You should just be up here giving the announcements. You'll cover all these things more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is definitely what we want to see happen, more and more things like that taking place. And so we encourage uh, you guys to be a part of all these things that are going to be happening here at Genesis in the weeks and months to come. Uh, remind you that we are here and the lights are on because of your giving and you can do that at thegenesisstory.com. Go there and you can find the various ways to give um, that are there on this screen. And uh, I, I do want to post an, uh, another newsletter just ex sharing a little bit of what's been happening financially and all those things because it has been encouraging. Um, but again, thank you to everyone who is giving. Um, have you ever been caught off guard by someone doing something that you didn't expect? Someone who maybe at work had an attitude and they just seem like maybe a, a grumpy person and then they come up out of the blue and do something kind or ask for forgiveness and you didn't even think they were aware of it, right? And it's all of a sudden it's like, okay, wasn't expecting that, you know? And it changes how you see that person from then on. Once that person shows a different side of themselves and, and becomes maybe vulnerable, opens up, it just opens your eyes to a whole different way of seeing things, right? It's kind of like one of those movies where the end just throws you for a loop, right? Like, what is it, Shutter Island or something like that, where all of a sudden it's like, what? What's going on here? And it just freaks you out at the end because you weren't looking at this in that way, and all of a sudden it changes things. I think... That's true in so many areas of life where we can be surprised if we listen, if we watch. I remember years ago, I went to with Brian and with uh, Joe Acevedo to a thing called Terra Nova that Mosaic used to put on that was a thing for artists and art. And I went there for public speaking and Brian went there for poetry because, you know, him, that's his, you know, wheelhouse. But... Joe stood in for Alex, who couldn't make it, and Alex had signed up for the classes that Joe now had to step into, and one of the classes was drama, right? And so if you guys know Joe, Joe's pretty like, hey, how's it going, right? He's like this low-key guy, and he steps into this role, and if you know anything about Mosaic, you've got people who are actually professionals, people who are on TV sitcoms, people who are writers. And here's Joe stepping into this arena and then watching Joe get on stage with these people and perform. It was like, wasn't expecting that. And it was surprisingly exciting and just reviving. And I think that's true with the words of Jesus. And I think when we look at the things that Jesus taught, if we aren't surprised, if we don't get caught off guard and say, I wasn't expecting that, then we're probably not hearing things. Because we've got Jesus speaking life to us. And if it doesn't get those paddles and shock us, I wonder if we're really hearing it, right? And we see this take place in Jesus's first sermon. 
And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he proceeded to just shock them. In fact, at the end of this whole sermon series, they said, We've never heard anyone speak like this. The way he is talking is as one who has authority. The things he is saying are things we have not heard before. And I wonder if we can't hear them again. And I wonder if we can't be shocked into life again by these things. I mean, let's look just briefly at some of these things. What about verses 21 and 22? He says, you have heard it said of those old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. If that doesn't wake you up, I don't know where you're at, right? That is something like, wait, did, did, did he mean that? right? Calling someone a fool. How many times, hey fool, what's happening? Does that what he means, right? Am I in danger of hellfire? What's going on here? There is something being said here that is meant to bring about a response. So what about verse 44, 43, excuse me. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just let that sit in. When you think of an enemy, who do you think of? And Jesus says, okay, now I want you to love them. What do you think of? This ain't me talking. This is Jesus talking. Wasn't expecting that, right? And he does similar things about lust, divorce, promises, and vengeance. All these things he tackles in this first sermon. Let's look at chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What am I storing up? What am I working for? What is my treasure? How about chapter 7, verse 1? Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. These are sobering words, people. And I don't want to gloss over these and make them less. I want to be awakened by them. And, and these and more of what Jesus said strike against how we see the world and how we live in it. And if it doesn't, then I wonder if we are really hearing it or if we have, oh yeah, I know those things. Do we? And what does it mean to know these things? And remember, we've talked about believe. What does believe mean? It means to act as if it's true. If I believe these things, am I living as if they're really true? And if I'm not, what does it mean? What am I believing instead, right? And there are a few different thoughts on this first sermon of Jesus, as we call it, these first teachings. And the medieval Catholic church, they thought that this was only for the priests, that this was so 
strong in, in its presentation that it was only meant for the hierarchy, those who were high up in the religious system. And, and then there was the Lutheran take on it, who was kind of, they were kind of contrasting what the, the Catholics thought, and they believed, well, this was for everyone, but this is something that takes place in our hearts. This is an attitude that we are supposed to have within our hearts. And, and then if you go back not too long ago in an evangelical dispensational, and if you want to know about that, we can talk later what that all means, but there was this kind of view, well, this is what it's going to look like in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, these are things that are impossible to attain now, but it's what we are going to look forward to in the by and by, right? And so these different thoughts, right, are how they have looked at these things. And it's very interesting about how they play out, right? Because it talks about anger, Jesus talks about lust, he talks about murder, he talks about adultery, he talks about divorce, verbal manipulation. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to love? How are we to live in the world? He covers power, deception, false teachers, and challenges how we are to live in the everyday facets of our life. And if this was just meant for when we die and go to heaven, why at the end he gives us an example that says, this is how you are supposed to live. This is a person who builds their life on a rock, who follows my teachings. And so I believe all these things are meant to be things that we look at, that we filter how we are seeing and living into them. They are, they are meant to challenge our structure of life and if necessary, flip it on its head so that it looks more like the kingdom of God. And I think these words are the way we are meant to live and move forward. And it will challenge each of us to the core of our being and turn to show how to live blessed lives. Right? It starts with blessed are and it ends with this is how we are to live. I don't think these words were to help us live better lives and make us better Christians by being nice. I believe that these words were subversive and political to the culture that he lived in and I think into the culture that we live in as well. Because in this sermon, Jesus defines our way of life in the world, and that, by definition, is political. And what I mean by political is I mean it's the activities of how we will be governed together. And Jesus and his message are very political. Jesus is Lord was a political statement to a community that had as their logo... Caesar is Lord, and it was imprinted on their documents. And so coming out and saying this of Jesus was a political statement. Now, many years removed from us, we, we don't see the correlation, but it would be very much so at that time. 
And the dangers that we have in seeing this as, you know, only for the higher-ups or only for our heart or only for the hereafter is that we don't see it for the here and now, right? And John, or Matthew 7, 28, Jesus finished these sayings and the crowds were astonished at his teachings because he presented them with something that they were supposed to handle and embrace, And I think we need to see that as well. Uh, Another danger is that when I say political, (laughs) what a charged statement that is, right? I mean, we can reduce this to partisanship. And when I say political, we think of Republican, Democrat. Sorry for all you libertarians or other people out there. But that's what we tend to do. We tend to think of liberal, conservative, right and left. Because that's the culture we find ourselves in. We have seen Christianity as political in the past. We saw it when Constantine decided that Christianity would be the religion of Rome. We saw it in in basically the Crusades when they were going to go and march and take the Holy Land's back and make this a public system. We've even seen it in moral majority and things where Christianity gets put on the political stage in so many ways. And in so many of each of these examples, there have been anti-Christian results in far as how it affects the people that are out there. So saying the politics of Jesus might come with a lot of questions, and I hope so. I hope you have questions and I hope we can even talk about these questions because I believe they're challenging what we see and how we live. I hope to set today a foundation of what it means by the politics of Jesus and then in the weeks to come, build on what that looks like through this teaching of Jesus that was his first that encompassed all these things that I talked about. And so today I want to talk about neither right nor left nor religious. That's the title, right? The politics of Jesus, neither right nor left nor religious. And I want to start off by saying that Jesus doesn't hesitate to address sensitive issues. He steps right into them. As we go through his words, when something strikes us, makes us uneasy, like love your enemies... I want us to sit in that. I want us to have a kairos about that. Why am I feeling so uneasy about the words of Jesus in this setting? And I hope we will take that uneasiness and dig to explore what it's trying to uncover in us. Because the last thing I want to do is take those words, have them have this kind of like, oh man, that's... that's, doing something in me, and then just keep going on and not let that work take place within us. I hope to show how deeply Jesus engages the struggles of our world, and we can't cop out of the challenge by saying it's just something personal between me and God, or it's something that God will make right when Jesus comes back and I go to heaven, that we will enter into the struggle that Jesus is presenting through his words. And what I think happens many times with us is we fit Jesus into our current way of thinking and then we don't have to change. 
and it happens in politics, right? In our political structure, we will fit Jesus into our political system because this is what we believe, because we believe it's right. And, and again, whether it's right or left, that political persuasion is something we have adapted. And then what's easiest for us is to adapt Jesus's words into what we already have. We all do that. And Jesus is going to challenge that. And I believe as we go through his teachings, we should be standing back and say, wasn't expecting that. Wasn't expecting that. I hope to show that Jesus explicitly rejects partisan conception of power, not only for us in the United States, but for other political, political systems. Remember, this started in Rome. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there is nothing either in either political system that's not good. What I'm saying is neither is able to represent the politics of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And I'll explain why later on. I think Jesus would reject a lot of what we see in both parties. Parties that exclude that name call, that judge, that shame. I don't think those represent the politics of Jesus. And yet that's so much of what we see, that our identity is different or it needs to be different, right? In Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called to him the disciples and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. Our identity first and foremost must be the one of his followers that have this identity with who he is above any other identity. This is our first. And it doesn't matter where we are on the globe. If we belong to Jesus, that is who we identify with. And then behind that is I'm American. Behind that is I'm Cuban. Behind that is I'm Italian. And behind that is I'm Republican. Behind that is I'm Democrat, I'm Libertarian. But there's an identity that first shouts out of who we are by how we live. And my hope is that we can step back from the current climate and rhetoric to hear the voice of Jesus through all the voices that keep shouting that we're right and allow his voice to challenge how we reflect him. I think if we step back, we can see that both liberal Democrat, conservative Republican are not arguing about two different political systems, but are arguing about the way to embody one political theory. And, and this is the point I want to build off of here. Right? Both parties 
are building off of a political, it's called liberalism, but it's individuality. It's personal liberty, right? It's an entitlement for our personal liberty. This is often called liberalism traditionally, not because it belongs to the left or a liberal party, but because of the individual liberty. It's maximizing the individual rights and opportunities over and against the institutional structures that exist. And those structures could be the church, those structures could be the state, those structures could be a king or emperor. That these parties are built on developing or maximizing individual rights. Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there aren't good things about that, but that is at the heart of both political parties. And I think this is so persuasive in our thinking and our identity, we don't even realize how much it's a part of our thinking. For example, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, right? He said, whatever you pray, believe that you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask and you will receive. All these words, you, 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 If you had thought when I said all those things that those are personally talking to you, you're wrong. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he was talking to a multitude. You are the salt of the earth. It wasn't you, it was you. Ask and you will receive. It wasn't you, it was you. Did you know that they didn't used to read the Bible individually, that it was only read in synagogues publicly? that when they would get letters from Paul, they would read them in the house to the church together. That this individual understanding of God was something that was not even a part of their system. It is so much a part of ours. We live in this culture where it's all about me and my relationship with God. But from the beginning in this sermon, Jesus is talking to the multitude and all these things are addressed to you. And the you is mixed In this you, there are tax collectors who are thieves robbing from their Jewish people. In this you, there are zealots who are trying to stop by force these tax collectors who are taking these things. In this you, there are fishermen. In this you, there is every scope of personality in all these societal elements in life. And in this you, Jesus is trying to help us see the we. And when we start getting into this individualistic, this is my rights, this is what I am here, we don't even see how it starts to permeate our lives and how we read scripture. You are the light of the world is referring to everybody who's in here. And it's referring to the people who are even out there. And it was referring to Gentiles who did not believe in the God of the Jews. And it was referring to people who had no concept of who Jesus was. He was inviting people to an understanding that was so contrary to anything that they heard that they could not fathom it. It was blowing their minds. And I wonder why it's not blowing my mind still. You see, the words of Jesus have been my comfort throughout the past year. Well, longer than that, but this year especially. And helping me to identify him and to see his work above just what I'm doing. And to connect to something much bigger than myself. 
These words are meant to be taken as a collective. I'm not saying reading scripture by yourself is bad. I think it's a good thing. I'm glad we all have Bibles. But do you realize how much we've lost in understanding? Just think of what it was like if we only could read the scriptures collectively together. How much conversation would develop? How much insight from every individual we'd get? Right? When someone goes, oh, you know, that really spoke to me because what about this? And you go, oh, man, I wasn't thinking about that. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I was thinking about this. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Well, what about this? Imagine the dialogue that would take place if we had to read the scripture together. Instead, we go into our rooms, we listen to our, you know, little people choice, and we develop our systems, and we lose the you. And it becomes me, my group. And so when I say Jesus' political system, it is about how we will work together and live our common life together that looks like Jesus. I think it can be seen in both the left and the right in different ways and how we pursue individualism can see, be seen in both ways, right? maximizing the individual liberties over the collective. Both parties can do this. They just have different focuses. And again, I'm not saying one is right, one is wrong. I'm just wanting us to be aware of the individual focus in the political systems as we see it, right? Both parties and our culture in general are founded on the individual freedom. They just have different ways and priorities of focusing on how these individual liberties should be expressed, right? So being a Democrat or Republican, again, forgive me all the others that are out there, isn't arguing about the best way to be like Christ in the world, but about the best way to live out our individuals' lives in this culture. And again, doesn't mean everything's bad. I'm not saying that. Where... The politics of Jesus supersedes all of that and begins with a collective we, a shared conception of what is good for not only us in our city, our community, our country, but our world. I remember when there was a pushback years ago about wearing seatbelts. Any of you guys remember that? Don't tell me I can wear a seatbelt. Don't tell me I can't hop in the back of my dad's truck and drive to the beach. Right? And it was about this liberty. I want the freedom to do these things. Right? And now we kind of look back and say, man, seatbelts are a good thing. They saved a lot of lives. I'm glad I don't see kids on the back of trucks now. Right? Because that's a bad thing. And the same thing happened with smoking. There was a time where smoking was just like, everybody smokes, right? And so there's this push again, again, this is our liberty. And we find that again, now wearing masks. Don't tell me I have to wear a mask. These kinds of things. Think about how we view liberty itself. Liberty in the current culture climate means 
the absence of rules, restraints, ethics, or morals, right? Depending on which level it is. I don't need no rules. I don't need no, you know, uh, restraints. Don't tell me what to do, how to live my life, right? I have the freedom to how I live. My body, my choice, right? Whether it's for an abortion or to get vaccinated, it's my body, don't tell me what to do. Whether it's the right to bear arms or the right to use drugs, don't tell me what to do. You see there's this individual liberty that parties are trying to hold on to and appeal to, to our own individual. Oh, I like these liberties, I'll hold on to this and so I'll go to this party. Well, I like these liberties, I'll hold on to this and I'll go to this party. And I think there's something more. The conception of Jesus is different. Paul says, all things are lawful, but not everything's necessary. Not everything's good. And, and the whole point of that was, what are you gonna do that's gonna help someone else? There was a, a different focus on these things, right? So when I say that the teaching of Jesus in this Sermon on the Mount are political, it's not saying that it is right or left. It is based on a set of assumptions that don't even allow a Democrat or Republican conversation of individualism to take root or to take off. It starts from a different place. And again, if you're feeling threatened, like I'm threatening your political system, I have not challenged either right or left. I am trying to present some of the things that Jesus is teaching. If you feel threatened, I want you to have that moment and say, why am I feeling threatened? What is he saying that is a threat to me? By telling us that Jesus is doing something deeper still. This isn't about me and my preferred believings. This is about us being a political entity in the world that is good news for the world. That's what the body of Christ is. Because in the body of Christ, you have Jew, you have Gentile. You have Scythian, barbarian. There is not male nor female. There is one in Christ. That means in the body of Christ, there is Republican, there is Democrat. Do you know there are Christians who are communist? Do you know there are Christians in every area of this globe? And there is a politics of Jesus that supersedes any other politics. And Jesus is pressing to the heart of Rome and challenging that. You know, why do you think Jesus was crucified? Now, he knew why. He knew this was going to happen. It was his intention all the time, but he was challenging the political authority of the religious system. He was challenging the political authority of the Roman government. That is why he was crucified is because he was presenting something that was in conflict to what they were holding onto. And it took him to the cross. He wasn't crucified because he was a nice guy healing people. He was challenging the religious system and how they were portraying God and saying, no, God cares about all these people, not just these people. 
He was challenging the, the powers that be by saying that their way of oppression, even as I just read, was not the way of God, that God was going to do something different. And they were getting so much flack because so many people were embracing this that they had to stop it. This isn't about preferred beliefs. This is about Jesus's presentation of gospel, good news to the world. We are political, but not in the way that we have been political in the past because our politics is now built on an entirely different set of assumptions and values. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I can't, I'm not saying you shouldn't belong to a Republican or Democratic party. That's not my point here. And if you're hearing that, you're missing the point that I think Jesus is saying. You can belong to either party or neither party, but there is another political party that you must belong to that is going to challenge how you see and how you interact to everyone and every system. The politics of Jesus takes place from the very beginning that God so loved the world to the very end, go and make disciples to all nations. His politics is global and can take place under the rule of Rome. It can take place in systems of socialism or the context of communism or capitalism. I tried to make all those C with C and S with S. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I'm trying to add a little levity here because this is pretty serious. You guys are like, I don't want to. Anyway, the politics of Jesus stands as a light and beacon of hope in the midst of all the systems of the world. And in this sermon, Jesus unfolds the politics of the kingdom of God. And what we're trying to capture is that the church is a political entity making a statement about the lordship of Jesus, practicing a kind of politics in their life together that bears witness to the reality of Jesus and calls into question the common sense assumptions of the politics of the world that there is another way. Jesus isn't giving a private religious morality or partisan politics. He is presenting an entirely different way to live in the world, wherever you live in the world, in whatever political system you live in the world. And that, by the way, is the reason that Jesus was crucified, is because he was not going with the systems of the world. Jesus was going to and would conquer Rome, and it would be without force. Where Constantine could not stop the spread of these people who were following Jesus and instead embraced it. Where the Roman government could not stop the infection of goodness that these followers of Jesus were doing, that they had to try and combat it in a different way where the Roman governors would write to their leaders, these Christians are making us look bad. They're taking our sick and they are taking care of them. We need to develop systems that do that. Otherwise, everyone is going to follow them. Why? Because their system works. Because their system deals with what God cares about because people recognize that these people are in touch with something that's more powerful than the sword that Rome yielded and they could not fight against it, 
even though they martyred thousands and thousands. This is so counter to everything that we have seen and believed in so many ways that even after the resurrection, Jesus' own disciples in Acts chapter 1, they'd come together and asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It's like Jesus is going, what? Still? You're still wanting this power? You're still wanting this restoration? You've missed the point of what I'm doing? And so Peter in Acts chapter 10 would say, no, Lord, I'm not gonna go to Cornelius' house. I have never gone or touched you know, anything that was unclean. I'm not gonna eat that food that he had in that vision. And God is saying, stop calling what I have cleansed unclean. Open your eyes to see that there is a different system that I'm living in than the one you've been living in that is more inclusive than you could ever imagine. And it was hard for Peter, who followed Jesus for three years, to step into that Roman house because it represented so much that he was against. But he still did it. And guess what? Cornelius became a Christian and a person who changed the world from where he was to the people he influenced. It didn't stop. It spread. Because nothing combined this. You see, nations are bound by borders. We're bound by laws. We have to. It's necessary. The kingdom of God has no borders. And that's why no nation can be, quote, a Christian nation. Because a nation, by definition, is bound by borders, is bound by these restrictions, is bound by these things, and the kingdom of God isn't. And that's why this politics surpasses governments of men and boundaries and national divides, and it goes places that only the gospel can go. He wasn't giving a better way to govern the world. He was not giving us a better way to embody individual liberalism, liberalism in that way of individualism. He wasn't giving us a better way to be religious, to take care of our souls so that when we die, we could go to heaven. He was introducing something called the kingdom of God, which was a political entity that superseded what Israel could ever be. The church as it is expressed, the kingdom could never be bound with borders, boundaries, walls, or laws, right? A nation is a geopolitical entity with those borders and boundaries. The kingdom is every tongue, tribe, nation. A nation has laws and policies for citizens. The kingdom of God is an oath to baptism, a death and resurrection. Nations, states have to enforce walls and borders some kind of degree. Christ preached an open table where all were welcome. Nations rely on the threat of coercive power, right? police enforcement to make sure everyone stays in line. The kingdom consists of influence through self-sacrificial love. The nation state has a self-interested agenda for its own preservation. The kingdom is given the ministry of reconciliation. In our own nation identity, our political vision is about maximizing the pursuit of happiness as defined by individual and our liberties. The kingdom is a community reflecting the way of Jesus through the denial of self and the transformation of Christ-likeness. 
Again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that a nation should not have borders, laws, boundaries. I am saying that the politics of Jesus may come into contrast with those in various ways at various times, but always in a way that looks like Jesus. So Paul could say, pray for those who rule over you. Well, does it matter who it is? No. Doesn't matter who it is. Doesn't matter if it's Biden or Trump, Democrat or Republican. Well, wh what should I pray? Pray blessing. What does that mean? How does that look? What does a pray blessing on them look like? Lord, I pray that President Biden would be poor in spirit. Lord, I pray that Trump would be meek. Lord, I pray that they would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you see? There's something going on here that is allowed to spread beyond the partisanism. And the kingdom of God is happening, but it's not yet. And that's the hard thing, right? Because how does that look? How, how can it be here, but it, it's not quite here? Right? I don't fully understand how things will unfold. I mean, Paul says that we've been saved, we're being saved, and we'll be saved. Right? And so there's this process that's going on. God is restoring, renewing all things to himself. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to live now as if the kingdom was already here, even though it's not yet here. And so we find this tension that happens, which means we fight against anything that does not look like God's kingdom in a way that represents Jesus. Now and not, not yet gives us a very specific role to play. So we are not waiting on the sidelines for things to get better. We're not allowed to withdraw or to be passive. This is kind of what we were talking about the other day, Lauren, right? We were talking about, well, do we just sit back? Do, do we not do anything? We are not allowed that privilege, if you would. We, we are not allowed to be passive. We are not allowed there, nor are we allowed to dominate because that is the way, not the way of Jesus. In other words, I'm going to enforce my rule on you, but we are realistic of the reach of good government because good government can't fix everything. It's going to take love to do what government can't do. You know, I, I've had small in, interaction with homelessness, but I've had personal interaction with homelessness. And homelessness is a huge problem in our world, and for different ways, right? I mean, you have people who are in other countries who are homeless because there is nothing. Right now, we need to be praying for, again, the people in Haiti and all the things that they're going through. Now that they have been, their prime minister has been assassinated and they've asked for help from our nation to help keep their infrastructure in place. These people, there's a lot of people homeless and starving there that's different from where maybe our situations will be. But in my personal interaction with homelessness, where it's been people who I love, family members, to get person off the street, I could not just throw money at it. Right? And I could not just incarcerate it. To, to get a person I loved off the street, I had to 
go to that person and I had to cry with that person and I had to beg with that person and I had to be long-suffering and I had to go home and I had to pray for that person and I had to journey for months with that person to get that person to just say yes to deal with the problems that they had, the problems with addiction, the problems with mental health issues. There is so much complicated. It can't be wiped away. No government's gonna be able to fix this, but we are here. And we can step into the dirt and bring the kingdom in the hardship of humanity. It takes individuals prompted by the Spirit of God to step into the lives of others in ways that can help them where they are to deal with the depths of the problems that are there. And it, you, it doesn't have to be just homelessness. It could be homelessness. I mean, racism, it could be abuse. It could be so many other things that are a part of our society that are problematic. Government alone can't fix it. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't good programs. doesn't mean you shouldn't try and step into those things. But I am saying that no matter where you are, no matter what affiliation you have, no matter where you are in the world, there is a role that you have in all of these situations. It's not passive and it's not relinquishing and saying, well, well, God's gonna make it all good when he comes. No, we are living in the kingdom now, even though it's not yet. We bear witness to the truth. And the first truth we tell is the truth about ourselves. And, and this is where this has been hitting me. The truth I have to tell myself is, God, I have been a little too passive in my interaction with the struggles around me. God, I have been a little too quiet and voicing who you are and how you want me to live in these situations. God, the truth to myself is I need to be challenged by your words because these are words to me as a collective, and I've been looking at them as words to me as an individual. And I have forsaken the call to the body and my role in that collective. Jesus is not here to condemn us, but he's to illuminate the truth to us, to help us make peace with ourselves and our relationships with the kingdom and peace with our neighbor and to love our enemy. And if that's uncomfortable, it should be. It should be. I don't see how it can't be. This is the politics of mercy and justice, the politics of forgiveness and generosity, the politics of reconciliation. This is the politics of Jesus, the tax collector, the zealot, sitting at the same table eating. We reject the way of retaliation and exploiting in our fight against things and others. And if it seems, this is unrealistic, Sam. This is just unrealistic. It only shows then how embedded we are to the systems that be. If we think, oh, there's no way this can work. This just isn't a reality. That's because we do not see reality. We see the illusion 
that we are being given and have lived in for so long because Jesus' words are the reality and they're challenging my reality to the core people. They are challenging how I live and how far I am from what discipleship is that Jesus taught and how we see them lived out through him and through his disciples. And so I want to set the foundation for the next weeks as we go in and look at this the teachings of Jesus, to be open to how they will challenge us in so many areas of our life, even the ones I've mentioned about anger, about lust, about adultery, about divorce, about retaliation, vengeance. All these things are going to be challenged in how we see ourselves and what system we belong to. And I hope that together here, you know what I love about this community is I love the diversity. I love you guys. I love that we have people who are very conservative. And I love that we have people that are very liberal. And I love that we can sit together and eat together and love each other as ourselves. And if we do not recognize the other is more important than ourselves, then the politics of Jesus is not permeating our lives. It's hard. It's hard. It's not easy and it's not... For me, it's not just, oh, this is how it is. It's black and white. Gosh, you guys, I, I used to have a system, and like Randy was talking last week, I had a system of theology. Man, I, I, it was clean. It was easy. And then Jesus went and messed it all up. <laughs> he just threw a wrench in it, and it's like, oh, God, how do I do that now? And that's what I hope. I hope that through this, there will be a monkey wrench in your system of theology, in your politics, and allow the politics of Jesus to invade your life so that we see and live in the political system of God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, that you would... Help me to communicate clearly. Help your words to challenge us and allow our hearts room for question and growth. God, may we be an entity that makes a difference and brings good news to the world, to the people around us, Wherever they are, whoever they are, may we learn how to love our enemies. May our good deeds be seen so that people will see you in our lives. Lord, we pray, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Gonna have Randy close in a song, but I want you guys to know I threw a lot of stuff out here today. Um, if you want to talk afterwards, let's talk. Okay, I'm open to hear your thoughts. I hope you're open to hear mine. I'm open to being wrong. I've been wrong many a time, and I'll, I'll share why I see these things. If you have questions, I'll, I'll answer them the best I can. But if you want to talk, I'm here. Let's talk, okay?
except for you online, you can't talk to me right now. So, but you can later on Wednesday night when we do take two. So I hope you will. Because I hope this is a conversation because I think it's an important one we need to have. May the politics of Jesus that is neither left nor right nor religious infect our lives so as a community we will change our world in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Love you. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.